Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. And we're back. Love Welcome back to the radio. And we're back. Welcome back to the Who's Your Huddle podcast. I'm Sammy Jacobs. Along with me is TJ Inman. TJ, do we finally have you back? Yes, I am here if you can hear me. Sweet. Awesome. Uh, so we're back. We had some technical difficulties. Had to restart a new show. So let's kick it off again. Uh, before we get started here, TJ, I do want to um, put that, that uh, you know, just a statement on Terry Hutchins and what he's meant to me in the and it's very sad that yeah. Terry passed away uh, late last week uh, from complications from, from a car accident and can't imagine that the pain and suffering that his family had to go through this, this holiday season and, and my thoughts are with him. But Ter- Terry was one of the, the great guys on, on, on the IU beat and he was one of the first guys to take me under his wing off to drive me up to the Bowling Green game and just you know, riding in the car with him, listening to his stories about, you know, covering the Colts and covering IU and, and reading all his books and, and things like that. You know, it was it was like being a, a kid in a candy shop uh, as a sports fan, just listening to these stories and just letting them talk and, and about all this stuff. And, you know, he had me on several podcasts and, and things like that and thought enough of me to, to bring me on um, – you know, as his as a substitute for for doing stats when he was covering basketball and and football over there's an away game he he couldn't make and and things like that. So, um, you know, many thanks to Hutch and and he will be missed. But let's get down uh, back to some IU football news this morning. T.J. Kane Womack, the Indiana linebackers coach. Uh, received a promotion up to defensive coordinator. Uh, Womack came to IU last year uh, when the NCAA expanded uh, uh, coaching staffs to include 10 coaches. He was brought on from South Alabama, where he was the defensive coordinator. Uh, He's also the defensive coordinator at Eastern Illinois. Spent time as a graduate assistant uh, with Tom Allen at Ole Miss. So he's familiar with this 4-2-5 base defense that Allen runs. He ran at South Alabama. South Alabama improved, was one of the top five improved defenses in the nation in 2016. Uh, he held that job for 16-17. He did a, a pretty decent job. This is the high linebackers uh, coming in. And I, I think this is just the logical move uh, for Tom Allen. It's something that he has hinted at after the pregame. Uh, he was thinking about doing mm-hmm. He hinted it, at it at signing day, and it's something that we've discussed, I think, ever since the Minnesota game where, where maybe we thought Tom Allen was in uh, over his head a little bit and needed to, um, you know, diverge some of that um, – so, some of the coaching responsibilities on defense after somebody else, and, and Womack is just a logical, uh, logical choice there. And, you know, we'll see – it's, it's definitely a, it's a great opportunity for for Coach Womack, and I you know we'll see how it affects the team. It, it's you know Indiana struggled on offense; they struggled special teams, uh, and maybe that's because the the head coach is too focused on the defense and needed to take a whole team 
you know, a whole team angle and, and be the head coach and have a hand in everything instead of, you know, delegating delegating the offense to somebody, delegating the special teams to somebody, uh, and instead, you know, be a part of the whole team instead of just the, the face of the defense and the head coach. Uh, so now you could be focused, Tom Allen could focus on being the head coach of the Indiana University football team. He has a guy he trusts as defensive coordinator and, and some really good coaches on the defensive side of the ball that he could trust and and hopefully make this this defense better. They, they did take a step back last year, fell to 11th in the conference in points per game, giving up 29.9. Uh, but the defense is young, and, and it'll be interesting to see what uh, Coach Womack does uh, does in the spring and and ultimately in the fall. What are your thoughts on this high on on this promotion, TJ? You're right. It's something that we kind of saw coming. Uh, Tom Allen certainly strongly suggested it was going to occur, uh, and now it's been made official. Um, you know, I think it's part of the maturing process of of a, a head coach that. Um, you know, you initially, I think Tom Allen, it made sense for him to stay in charge of the defense. Um, that's where his comfort zone was and still is, really. Uh, it, it made sense for, uh, you know, a guy that had, had such an impact on the defensive side of the ball to stay in charge of that. Um, now, as you've progressed a little bit, you've kind of realized or Tom Allen has realized, okay, uh, it's taking up too much of my time to, you know, if I'm going to do this right on the defensive side of the ball, it takes a certain number of hours and and energy uh, to do it correctly. And, you know, after this season, I think he clearly has has realized that look, other areas of the team uh, are not, getting enough of my attention. I don't have enough of that. So you're just going to reallocate some of that energy and focus, uh, put some trust into those defensive assistants. Uh, you know, I imagine that Mark Hagan is going to have, a, you know, some additional responsibility. And uh, I think that um, certainly Kane Womack obviously has additional responsibility as well. He is going to remain uh, coaching the linebackers. Uh, according to uh, Indiana's release, that's the current plan. Um, I'll be interested to see what happens with special teams now and with offense now because Tom Allen, uh, you know, he has more time now to look at some of those things and figure out, you know, what to do with uh, with the offense, with the with the uh, special teams, and you know, I think that that'll be kind of the next move. Tom Allen is, what do you do on those uh, in those facets of the game? So I, I don't think Indiana's coaching staff has done shuffling responsibilities. Um, you know, whether or not the coaching staff uh, personnel remains the same is still to be seen as well. So that's kind of next on the agenda for Indiana football. Uh, but overall, I, I think it's a move that makes a lot of sense. Uh, how's it going to work out? Obviously, time will tell. Yeah, it's definitely a move that that was needed, and you know there was something, and I said this during the season, seemed like something clicked in Allen at the Minnesota game, 
And yeah. maybe in the second half of the Minnesota game where they started taking shots downfield, you know, he, he talked about going to a bowl game. And then after the Purdue game, he, he talked about getting the defensive coordinator, uh, you know, duties. Maybe something humbled him. Maybe he realized that, hey, it's okay, you know, if I – if to realize that I have to give up these duties for us to be successful and, and swallow your pride a little bit. And so, you know, maybe that, that was part of it. I definitely thought something changed, you know, either during the Minnesota game or after the Minnesota game. Uh, I, I can't put my finger on what exactly, what tangible thing it was, but is the, just the way he spoke after games and, and the things that he said, uh, were just a little bit, you know, a little bit different from from the beginning of the season. Um, yeah. Now let's other staff changes. We, you know, ex- hopefully come, expect to come. Uh, one of those words, you know, you're probably looking at a change in offensive coordinator. There's maybe some reshuffling going on on the staff with in terms of special teams. Uh, from from last year, special teams absolutely killed IU in a lot of these games, uh, and it, it, that's something that you, at at Indiana, at a team like Indiana, you need to be good on special teams. You don't have to be great. You don't have to be the best special team team in the nation, but you need something. You uh, and, and as good as Logan Justice was, uh, IU was just dreadful in the kick return game. They ended up fair catching most of their kicks. Yeah, they ended up right at 50 in, in terms of kick return efficiency. But uh, to ask this offense to go 75 yards um, every single drive uh, is an impossible task, and it's impossible, almost, you know, even for Alabama, the Alabamas and the Clemsons of the world. If you're starting 75 yards out every single time, points are going to be. Uh, hard to come by, and you know Indiana's offense was a a, a dink and dunk offense, and to to ask a, a team to go seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven plays and seventy five yards of points on the board and score touchdowns, um, it, it was it was nearly impossible, and it, and it came back to to haunt them in the end. And we'll see, we'll see if you know this defensive coordinator promotion is just. Uh, is something that is the evolution of Tom Allen and going forward. So we'll see. It's going to be a busy off season. Now let's get down to recruiting. Early signing period was, uh, you know, a couple weeks ago on December 19th. Indiana brought in a, a pretty, pretty darn good uh, early signing class uh, that ranked in the top 40 nationally. 10th in the Big Ten, and when you start talking rankings like that and, and the difference between 7th in the Big Ten and the Big Ten is usually about a player, uh, maybe half a player, you know, a star, you know, half a star ranking here and there and, and things like that. But Indiana still has five spots open. They signed uh, 19th on, on the 19th. Uh, they still have five spots to play with. They still have some needs, but you know, what are your initial thoughts of this signing class? That's a good class. I mean, we talked about uh, prior to the uh, end of the uh, early signing period, we talked about, okay, 
you know, the group that we have on paper is very good. Can we keep these players? There were a couple of guys that you were worried about flipping. Um, now, Indiana did lose uh, did lose a player, Dorian Jones, uh, linebacker, ended up at Louisville. Uh, I don't think I used too heartbroken about that, to be honest. Uh, but, you know, he's based on kind of what uh, the vibe that was given off by the staff. But anyway, uh, Matthew Bedford was the big one that looked like he might flip to an SEC school. Uh, there were a couple of suitors in for him. He ultimately stuck with the Hoosiers, and that was a huge get. Bedford has a, a big ceiling. And then obviously something that is not factored into the class ranking uh, is a transfer that Indiana got an impact transfer uh, in Jack Tuttle uh, that I'm going to consider part of the class because Tuttle still does have four years to play uh, for the Hoosiers. So, um, you know, a quarterback transfer from Utah that Indiana's hoping and expecting to be eligible to play, you know, in the 2019 season, uh, a former four-star player. Uh, there's Indiana connections there that um, made him a good, made IU a good fit for him and uh, hopefully can live up to the, the player that, that he was coming out of high school. Uh, looking at his uh, high school highlight film, obviously he did not take the field for the youths, so we don't have any from there, but looking at his high school film, I mean, you know, he's very talented. There's really no denying it. Uh, and I think he's a really good fit for Indiana. And uh, looking at the rest of the class, I think they filled a lot of needs. Uh, there's still a couple uh, that you'd like to have. I, I think you'd, you'd love to get a safety in this class. Um, Nick Tuber was a player that it, they really tried hard to flip from Stanford. Uh, that was a, a tall task, and they were unable to do that. Uh, no shame in, in uh, you know, making a choice to go to Palo Alto uh, to play college football. That's certainly a, a strong decision from Nick Tuber, so understandable. But they were unable to flip him. Um uh, so they're still on the lookout for a safety, and I think probably from there you're looking at mostly taking best available guys that you can get. Uh, but if you just go down position by position, I think they've added you know seven or eight guys that that are going to help this team as early as next year. Uh, Ivory Winters and Samson James at running back, Tiwan Mullen, cornerback uh, that you know corner is a position that freshman can come in and, and contribute right away in a lot of different ways. Um, Winters and, and James are both uh, – James, obviously, the one everybody knows, an Avon four-star running back, uh, physically looks the part and ready. Ivory Winters put up insane numbers uh, in a small town uh, in Missouri. I mean, uh, just, you know, ridiculous video game numbers if you have it set on, like, easy. Uh He's. I'm very excited about what he can do. Uh, David Ellis, I think, is a player that they're going to anticipate the play slot pretty early, uh, with you know losing some some bodies at that position. Uh, and Ellis is a guy that um, I know Michigan State and Michigan. If either of them had had come in, I know the staff was fearful that uh, you know maybe they, they'd lose him to. One of the big boys from in-state, he's from Michigan. Uh, very glad to hold on to him and get him in. 
And then I think there was just a number of good athletes they got on defense, including uh, the addition of, of Cam Williams, another four-star in-state kid, and Bo Robbins, a four-star in-state kid. Uh, given the results on the field, really phenomenal uh, performance from the coaching staff to get uh, get this class in. Now it's about kind of identifying, you know, a few targets, really working on them for that late signing period uh, to, to complete the class. I Like you said, they've got five spots left. I would anticipate Indiana uses the full allotment of that, five guys that they really like uh, that they can get. And, um, I, you know, overall, I think it was a really, really positive uh, development for Indiana. You, you mentioned 11th as the class ranking. That's really irrelevant. Uh, you look at uh, the way that I evaluate this thing, because I, I'm not an expert looking at, uh, you know, I can look at tape and say, oh, I like the way that this guy does X, or wow, he looks really fast, or obviously he's got a nice frame. I mean, those things are easy. Beyond that, I'm not an expert talent evaluator. What I can do is look at the offer list for players and say, okay, yeah, we're we're beating out fellow Big Ten East teams. We're beating out Maryland. We're beating out uh, Michigan State, you know, for, for this player. Or in the case of Samson James, we're beating out Ohio State. Um, or, you know, we're beating out Missouri or Arkansas, you know, good SEC programs. Uh, you look at that offer list, and it looks a whole lot better than what it did three or four years ago where, oh, we're beating out. Bowling Green, we're beating out Akron, we're beating out Toledo. That's not to say that that's always going to produce victories, but your odds of producing a really good roster are a lot better if you're beating out, uh, you know, consistent bowl programs as opposed to, uh, you know, mid-level MAC programs. Uh, so yeah. the majority of the players that Indiana went after and were able to land were, you know, being pursued heavily by programs that consistently go to bowl games and that's how you kind of slowly it, it's a slow process but doing that consistently is how you built your program into a, a program that you want it to be yeah and you gotta you know tom Allen talked about on signing day stacking classes back to back right one of his responses was probably my favorite response is well we're gonna have to go out and do it again next year uh and yep. you know Classes, usually classes aren't, you don't feel their true impact until, you know, their second or third year on campus. When when freshmen are, are now, you know, sophomores, redshirt sophomores, juniors, and seniors, it's when you see, you know, college football is a game for upperclassmen. There, it's a physical game, and there's a, you know, a big difference between an 18-year-old kid and a 20-year-old kid, and we've seen it all the time. Uh, you know, it, you see it in, in schools, in high school, you see it in college. You know, it's, you send your kid out to college at 18. Uh, they they come back after their sophomore year at 19, 20, and it, they're physically a different person. And so, you know, while the talent as freshmen are good, at, and IU's played a lot of freshmen, they're only going to get physically more mature uh, under the, the strength and conditioning uh, program that IU has, they're hopefully going to get better on the field as well. So, you know, if you could stack 
you know, now you stack two two quality classes together, uh, and you're kind of, you know, now you're kind of paying the piper for some of those late those that 2014 class, um, you know, those classes where IU didn't make the bowl games, uh, who are now going to be seniors. That they're kind of paying the piper on that the last couple of years, uh, but you know, mm-hmm. recruiting is on the uptick, tick, and and hopefully, uh, Indiana realizes this and puts guys in positions to, to win games. Now the schedule doesn't do them any favors next year. Uh, no. Really. Uh, but this is where you have to talk with your athletic directors and whoever's in charge of scheduling going, Hey, we need, you need to get us three wins in non-conference. And, and that's what they did this year. They have ball state up in Indy, uh, which I, you know, it's, I, I don't like playing neutral site games, uh, but being up no. in Indy, you could build some of that fan base. Uh, and, and the last time they played up in Indy, it was just such a stale atmosphere for, for IU and Ball State. And I don't think whoever was in charge of the game day ops did a did a great job. It just, you know, it seemed like a, a pickup game. And if I went back to the gym at the school that I worked, just flipped on the lights and said, all right, guys, we're going to play a game today. Uh, and here it was, and that's what it kind of felt like. Was there there was no there there was no feel um, uh, around the stadium that there was a game going on. It's just like, oh hey, uh, we're we're going to play Lucas Oil today. Just just a heads up, and uh, you know, but you know, it, for those fans, and and hopefully, ticket prices are reasonable. But for the fans who have been kind of scared off from driving down to Bloomington with the traffic from Indy or from the north side of the state who want to come down and watch IU. Uh, it, it's a, it should be a good showcase game uh, for the Hoosiers. Then you play Eastern Illinois in the SEC program where you should get a win at home. And then you play UConn, who, who was statistically the worst team uh, in the FBS last year and, and was in the conversation, I think, for the worst team ever. Uh, but we'll we'll see uh, on that, and then conference play it, it, it's tough. You draw Northwestern at home, and then you have to travel to Nebraska and Purdue out of the West. You play Ohio State and Michigan at home, and then you have to travel to Penn State and to Michigan State, uh, and then you get Rutgers and and Maryland, and you flip flop them. Rutgers at home this year, Maryland's on the road, so yeah you got to go to your athletic department. you got to say, I, I need three wins, and I'd like them to be at home. I'd like the, you know, in in the years we have, uh, you know, in, in the years that IU has five conference home games, why, why not play all three of your, your non-conference games at home? Start these series with Cincinnati and play home and home or two out of three at FIU and things like that, go to your directional Mac schools. Go, you know, bring in, bring in somebody you could beat and who wants to you know, take a payday on the on the road because right now wins are at a premium and you need to get you need to get six. And that's the bottom line. You look at people saying there's too many bowl games and all that stuff. That That's great, but it practices these bowl practices. Uh, the exposure on television uh, is great for recruiting. You get to develop the talent you're bringing in. You have 15 extra. Practices. Let's say, you know, you you look at, at teams. You know, now Purdue has 30 extra practices 
over the last two years that IU hasn't. That's a lot of practices. That's mm-hmm. two spring practices more uh, than IU has had. Now, IU had two bowl years, but, that you know, you start talking about, you know, teams doing it, you know, going nine times out of ten years, eight out of ten years, and, and you're talking close to 100, you know, 100 practices. And that that goes a long way uh, to developing a program. So, so IU's got to sit down. Mm-hmm. They got to go over their non-conference schedule. You got to say, okay, what are we doing here? What's our strategy? Are we? Because they've tried to bring in big-name programs and fill the stands. They they brought in Navy that backfired. They brought in Missouri when Missouri was good. It's uh, close enough to where Missouri would travel. They didn't sell out the game and they lost. Sure, they beat Missouri at Missouri uh, the next year. Uh, yeah, you played a road game at Bowling Green. You lost, and those are the, those are the games that IU that are keeping IU from bowl games. It's not that IU can't beat Ohio State. It's not that IU can't beat Michigan or Michigan State or or Penn State or teams like that. The loss that IU from bowl games are the loss to Minnesota uh, you know, in 2006. The losses to UConn and Southern Illinois. Uh, you, you look at, you know, last year, the loss to Maryland. You look at 2014, losing to Bowling Green. 2013, the loss to Minnesota and, and losing to Navy and losing to Missouri. Those are the games that, that IU needs to, those need to be wins, at least the majority of the time, maybe two out of every three times. And, and then you could start saying, okay, let's go play, you know, let's go play Kentucky. Let's see if we could get that series back started. Let's go play, you know, let's bring in Northern Illinois. Let's let's do something to honor Coach Mal and bring in Northern Illinois or bring in Colorado uh, and, and things like that. So Indiana has to take a hard look at itself from that point of view to help out that they're bringing in because you need to get to, to six wins. And if you don't get to six wins, it, it doesn't matter. And – uh, we'll talk about bowl games here, uh, here in a second, TJ. And this is a good segue to: Are there too many bowl games? I've seen a lot of noise on Twitter saying there are too many bowl games, especially after last night's wacky, wild cheese it bowl, uh, which was a, a ten, a ten-seven overtime win for TCU that featured nine interceptions. Now, I was yeah. entertained. College football, yeah. I was entertained, and it wasn't a punt fest. It wasn't like, okay, they can't move the ball. It was the defense made plays, and, yeah, it was some crappy quarterback play, uh, but the defense, you know, made plays. There was interceptions. There were returns uh, and, and things like that, and it was entertaining. It was the only thing on TV, too. So my message to those people saying there are too, more, uh, too many bowl games Go watch something else. You could watch whatever yep. Christmas movies that have been on for the entire month. Uh, go watch some crummy NBA games. Uh, let me enjoy college football for for another week before it's yep. that off season uh, that that's just killer. Um, you know, I, I'm not forcing anybody to watch bowl games, although my fiance will say otherwise. Um, but I'm not forcing anybody to watch bowl games. I will watch it on my iPad uh, while you do something else. Uh, 
there, there's no such thing as too many bowl games. It's made for TV. Yeah, people are are in stands, but it's made for TV. You cannot have enough live TV programming, and ESPN makes so much money off of this stuff uh, that it's not going to go. Sure that this bowl season has kind of been disappointing in terms of uh, great games, but you got a good one on now uh, in, in the Independence Bowl between Duke and Temple, 28-27 Duke. Uh, you had an entertaining game last night. You had, um, you know, the, the Bombers Bowl went down to the last second, and I think East, mm-hmm. in the, the Camilla Bowl with Eastern Michigan went down to the final second. Now, nobody really wants to watch Army put up 70 on Houston, uh, but the, the games are not going to go away. And, you know, it, I, I enjoy it. If you don't enjoy it, get out of my mentions and, on Twitter and, and, and go watch something else. Go take your kids to a movie. Uh, you know, go take your wife out to dinner. Anything like, you know, find a hobby uh, because this is my hobby. And I enjoy it. I, I know you enjoy it, TJ, and a lot of people enjoy it. So, that's my, my get off my lawn, but the opposite of get off my lawn uh, on, on bowl games. So uh, what's your take on the bowl season so far? Yeah, I mean, so far, like you said, there has not been a, a ton of, you know, fun or interesting games. There's been a few. Uh, you know, the, the good games are really the fun matchups anyway. Um, you know, they really kind of kick off tomorrow. Uh, and then obviously Saturday with the, you know, with the playoff. Um, but, you know, I'm with you. Like, I don't understand people feeling they need to go on Twitter or take to, take to the radio with, oh, what's this bowl? This is a bowl. Ha ha. Like, yeah, they have funny names. Okay, fine. These are exhibition games. They are a reward for, you know, for the, for the coaches they don't, I mean, yeah, the games, they want to win, obviously, but it's about the practices. For the players, it's another chance to play a game with their, you know, with their friends, with their teammates, with, uh, and it's another chance to get, you know, more practice. They get, uh, you know, they get some, some cool stuff from each bowl game they go to. And it's a chance to, to get away to a destination. You know, obviously some of them are, are more attractive than others, but a chance to get away to a destination, do some cool stuff as a team, I mean, and from a from a fan perspective, like you said, if you're not interested in Duke and Temple, or if you're not interested in Minnesota Georgia Tech, that's fine. Just don't watch. All you have to do is turn the channel or turn on Netflix or whatever. You know, you just don't watch, and that's it. Like I, I, I don't have any problem if I'm not interested in, um, you know the. Gasparilla Bowl or the Bad Boy Mowers Bowl or whatever, I just don't watch it. That's it. So I'm with you there. Um, kind of in terms of kind of Big Ten wise, what I'm interested in seeing, uh, I actually don't think Purdue Auburn is going to be that fun of a game. I think Auburn is a complete mess. Uh, so I'm not that interested in that. But I do think there's some really fun matchups for the Big Ten. Uh, Michigan State. You know, taking on Oregon, I just have a trust factor with Mark D'Antonio uh, that I would anticipate Michigan State is able to, to figure some things out. You know, their their defense over the last five games has allowed four offensive touchdowns. That's a terrific defense going up against Justin Abair, who 
has decided to return to Oregon for his senior year. If he was going out, he'd probably be the top quarterback taken in the NFL draft. Uh, so a really good quarterback going up against a really good defense. Question is, for Michigan State, have they figured anything out on offense to prevent them from being completely dreadful on that side of the ball? Uh, Mississippi State-Iowa, uh, I don't think it's a good matchup at all for the Hawkeyes, but again, a lot of times it's about which team shows up and wants it a little bit more. Uh, Iowa typically is a team that shows up to play. Um, you know, Urban Meyer's last game, that's interesting. The Rose Bowl is always a good watch. Uh, I think from strictly a, a bowl game kind of fun standpoint, really looking forward to Iowa State, Washington State. The Holiday Bowl always seems like it's a fun one. Uh, and Washington State, I think, has been, you know, I, I think their record's inflated. I don't think they're that good. But uh, surprising season for them. Mike Leach's teams are always fun to watch. And then Matt Campbell, I think, is one of the better coaches in college football. So that one's going to be a ton of fun. Uh, and then, obviously, the playoff on Saturday. You know, it's interesting. Both games are looking like they'll probably kick off at around two touchdown uh, spreads with Clemson and Alabama being favored. Um, I, I'm not sure. I think those are both pretty steep. Uh, Oklahoma, as good offensively as, you know, just about anybody – but what stands out to me from that game, uh, we're not going to do picks or analysis or anything like that, but just what stands out per possession, you know, looking at the S&P Plus pages for these teams, points per possession, Oklahoma, 113th out of 130, uh, Alabama second. So that's that's a scary, scary proposition for Oklahoma. Um, you know, I'm over. sure that they'll be – well, I'm sure that they'll be tempted to, you know, the question that Lincoln Riley has to figure out is how fast do we want to play? Because the faster we go, the quicker our defense has to take the field again. And the slower we go, the more we're taking ourselves out of our game. So it's going to be a delicate balance for Lincoln Riley and that Oklahoma staff to figure out the tempo. Uh, and obviously they're going to be tested by – you know, they won the Joe Moore Award for the top offensive line in college football. Kyler Murray with the Heisman. And now for weeks, Nick Saban gets to drill that into his team about how they've been disrespected, how, you know, oh, look at how good Oklahoma, everybody thinks Oklahoma is, yada, yada. Drill that into their heads and they come out with smoke coming out of their ears. Uh, and I, I could envision a scenario where that defense, uh, the front just takes it personally uh, and just, you know, blows the doors off of Oklahoma uh, and gets ahead by, you know, three or four scores fairly early. Boom, lights out. It's over. Uh, Clemson, Notre Dame. Well, it, really one don't more know thing what on the Alabama-Oklahoma um, sure. is suspensions and injuries are going to be playing playing a big role sure. in, in both yeah. of these games. You know, Alabama has yep. three players suspended. Starting Their starting guard is, is out, and it seems like it's – because of NCAA violations, which means somebody paid for an autograph, I think, uh, and, and things yep. like that. So they're they're out for the rest of the season. Um, that could be a factor. You have, you know, Tua is banged up in the SEC championship game. How healthy is he? Uh, 
I think it was a high ankle sprain. Usually that takes about a month uh, to get uh-huh. over. Is he going to be a hundred percent? And you, you know, Oklahoma is going to be prepared for both of those, those quarterbacks to play. And then in the other game, you have uh, Dexter Marquise Lawrence. Brown. Marquise yeah, Brown Marquise Brown. So yeah, he, their best wide receiver could, could be out. He's expect, anticipating to play, but yeah. you know, that's coach speak. That's what you say. You're not going to say two weeks before or a week before the game. You know what? I I don't really anticipate them playing. Um, and then you know, with Notre Dame and and Clemson, you have uh, you know a couple Clemson players failed drug tests. Uh, one of them is Dexter Lawrence, who's who's one of the best defensive linemen in the country, and how that's going to affect Clemson's defense. Uh, so. Mm-hmm. You know, I think there's a lot of off-the-field stuff that's going to affect the on-the-field product, and these games might just be better uh, than what Vegas says they are. I would agree with that. I think they're, I think they're pretty steep lines. Uh, this is not, in my opinion, uh, this particular Notre Dame squad is uh, a little bit better um, than the, the teams that have come out and gotten their, you know, got their doors blown off. Um, I, I think that they're more capable uh, of hanging with Clemson. I don't think they can beat them, but I do think they're more capable of making it very competitive. Uh, in Oklahoma, I, I respect Lincoln Riley and that offense so much. Uh, I, I do think it's going to be a little bit difficult for Alabama just to, to run away from them. Uh, I would expect, certainly, Alabama and Clemson to be the two that end up meeting again. Uh, for another national title, but um, you know, I I would possibly be, um, and I, I currently am. I haven't placed any bets yet, but I'm I'm leaning towards uh, taking the underdogs uh, with the points in both of those contests, uh, and certainly in the Alabama Oklahoma game. Uh, I know the over under right now is set at 80. Boy, I, I have a hard time seeing Oklahoma hold Alabama's offense, you know, under the high forties. So uh I think they'll I think they'll be fun, entertaining games and really as a neutral that's all I can ask for. Yeah, you know, entertaining games, games that go into the fourth quarter uh, that have you know, that that have the the balance of the game is still still in doubt. And uh you know we'll we'll see. And there's gonna be able to talk about expanding the playoff. Uh, in the off season, mm-hmm. there's been a, you know, the 10 is jumping in on there and, uh, you know, it, it's going to be Jim Delaney's not going to do anything until he figures out, Oh, how can I make more money? And yeah, yeah. missing the, missing the playoff is a huge, huge uh, deficit for the big 10. I, you miss out on millions of dollars uh, from getting a team in. And so, He's trying to manipulate the system to favor the Big Ten and favor himself. Um, but, you know, you look at Georgia. Georgia had their chance. I don't feel you had your chance. You're up by 14 points in the fourth quarter, and you choked. And, and I don't think I haven't heard a national person guy come out there and say, hey, um, yeah, you you choked. Uh, 14 point, you had a 14-point lead. You faked the punt. Um, and, and their backup quarterback went down and, and beat you. So, yeah, you coughed that one. You, why do you deserve to go to the playoff? You had your shot. That was a de facto playoff game. Uh, you know, again, the Big Ten, your 
non-conference games. Now, I'm not saying that Ohio State doesn't lose if they played a Purdue that week, uh, but let's say that that crossover game, let's say that crossover game does not happen, and instead Ohio State is playing a, a MAC school or a lower tier Power Five school, they're probably in the playoff. Um, not every every conference needs to play the same amount of conference games, uh, whether that be nine or eight. And I, I and I, I think the Big Ten is finally realizing that that is becoming a um, is becoming a, a hazard, and it's it's costing your middle teams wins too. And you know to go back to something that that Kevin Wilson said. Uh, a couple years ago at, at Big Ten Media Days, when I when asked about the, the nine game schedule, you know, he says you're taking away a week where the Big Ten has a chance to go 14 and 0 and guaranteeing that they go seven seven. And so when you look at non conference records and schedules and over records, you know that that takes a, a, a part of it, you know, that takes a, a factor into that and in strength of schedules and wins and all that stuff. So. You're taking a week where you're you're you could go 14 and 0 or 13 and 1 or 12 and 2, and, and just guaranteeing that your conference is going to have seven losses that week. So I, I think that that's one of the things that we'll discuss further on in the off season, TJ, and that's going to be a, a follow the money uh, type deal for for oh, yeah. Jim Delaney because that's all he's out for is is money. Um, I, I don't think he has anybody else's. Um, well-being in mind other than himself and, uh, you know, the pocketbooks of the conference. And so, you know, we'll, we'll see. Are they going to – the conference schedules have now come out, I think, through 2024, and, and we'll see. We'll see where, where they go, and it's going to be a heck of an interesting journey uh, to see if the playoff expands to eight teams. I don't I, – I, I go back and forth on it. I, you know, I'd like to see – all the Power Five conference champions uh, get in, and then maybe an at-large, um, either from the, the best group of five team, or an at-large from another Power Five school, uh, Power Five conference. But uh, you know, right? Everything has, seems to shake its way out. Now there are going to be years where only two teams deserve to go to the playoff. And maybe that's mm-hmm. a, you know that's maybe people are thinking that's a year like this year where Alabama and Clemson have clearly been uh, the best all year, uh, but then you had an undefeated Notre Dame and you know and uh, Oklahoma uh, revenge, uh, had a had a revenge win over over Texas. So we'll see. What are what are your thoughts on expanding the playoff? Um, honestly, I, I'm. I'm so pleased that there is one that I'm still at the point where I'm happy with four. Um, I can see, you know, I've read and heard the arguments for, you know, six team playoff or an eight team playoff. Uh, you know, the six where you give the one and two a buy. Um, not really in favor of that model. Um, I think that there, but personally, I do think that expansion to eight is inevitable. Uh, I think that the next playoff TV contract will likely uh, include eight teams uh, and get an even higher number um, uh, in terms of, you know, dollar amount that's paid for the contract. 
Um, so I, I think you'll see it go up to eight with uh, caveats in there for, you know, one non-Power 5 team per year. So, you know, one of the, in this case, it would be UCF getting like the eighth seed or something, um, playing Alabama uh, in the first round. Uh, and then, you know, five um, five conference champions. Um, you know, I think there's a good argument to be made for that. I think there's a good argument to keep it at four. Uh, I don't feel strongly about it either way. I just, uh, you know, I, I I don't want the regular season be, to be made irrelevant for a school like, uh, you know, for a, an Alabama or a Georgia or a, an Oklahoma, an Ohio State. I, I don't want, you know, to enter into things saying, well, um, you know, yeah, we we lost the game, but it's fine. We we aren't going to win the fine. You know, as long as we finish eleven and one or ten and two, even, you know, we can get one of those eight, and then, um, you know, from there, that's when our season really starts. I don't want it to get to that point, um, but I do think that expansion to eight is an inevitable path. Uh, as you said, follow the money, and I think that there's more money in an 18 playoff than a 14, so that's where we're going to end up. Um, I think it's a ways off zone for now. I'm I'm real happy with the system we have. Yeah, you know, one of the, the greatest perks of college football is that every week does matter. And, you know, a yep. loss, as we saw this year, a loss at Purdue, a 29-point loss at Purdue is going to be um, – it's going to kill your chances. A loss in the SEC title game is going to kill your chances. Uh, yep. it's, it's not as crazy as it used to be where if you lost the game, you're done. And now you, you can, if you win your concert, one loss and have enough good wins, uh, you could still get in. But going to eight teams, it seems if, if you start putting two or three lost teams, and, and they probably have to change the wording to the most deserving instead of best. Uh, because yep. you know, even you know, Alabama and Clemson are clearly the best teams in the country. And if they had lost to, if Alabama had lost to Georgia, are you really going to say, well, they're they're not the best team in the country anymore? So you know, you got to. Otherwise, you just take the recruiting rankings. Take okay, over the last five years, who are the top four teams? Okay, they clearly have the best. Talent. Let's put them in the playoffs. So hopefully they they could avoid doing that and really um, keep the significance of the regular season and, and maybe get some of these teams to play bigger non-conference games uh, at the beginning of the year and and um, and get some marquee games, uh, key games going in the regular season as well. So anyway, TJ, that does it for our podcast uh, this afternoon. Thanks for for joining me. Uh, I hope you had a Merry Christmas and, and I'm wishing you a happy new year as well. We'll be back uh, throughout the off season to talk national topics, IU football topics. There'll be plenty of stuff to, to go around. Uh, so sure. thank you for joining me on, uh, on this drizzly, dreary, windy Indiana afternoon. Absolutely. Thanks for listening, everybody. Happy new year and enjoy the bowls. All right, that does it for today's podcast. Thanks for joining us. You can follow us on Twitter at Hoosier underscore Huddle. Check out HoosierHuddle.com for all updated IU football content. Uh, you can subscribe to the podcast on 
iTunes and anywhere you listen to your podcasts. Uh, enjoy the holiday season with your friends and family. Enjoy the bowl games. If you don't, change the channel. Go watch a movie. Uh, work out. Do something. Uh, just don't bark at me uh, because you don't like bowl games. That's that's a you problem, not a me problem. Anyway, thanks for joining us, and we'll see you in 2018. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.